And now let's hear the word of the Lord from the introduction of Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. Starting at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Acacia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that we will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It is so good to be with you this morning. It is good and right for us to be together, to worship together on this day. It's a joy and our privilege to come together and worship, and I just thank God that we get to do this. I love being here with all of you, and I love looking at all your beautiful, smiling faces. This is a day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Back when I was in high school, I was a part of a youth choir that would go on choir tour every summer. Yes, Gina, I was a part of choir. <laughs> and we go on choir tour, it was, it was a big choir, really good singers, I was really good at standing there. <laughs> but during the tour, we would go on choir tour every summer. We'd go to incredible places. We went to Arizona, we went to Chicago, we went to New York. It was an amazing choir tour, it was a wonderful time. And during the tour, we would stay in homes. We called them homestays. So we stay in homestays at the churches that we'd stop to sing at. So say, for example, if the tour came here, they'd sing at this church, and then we'd have homes for the kids to, like, you know, two or four of them would go and stay in the home overnight and come back, and then they'd go off to the next spot on the tour. And this always led to some interesting encounters. It was always on the bus ride the next day, we'd always talk about, what was your homestay like? Did you get to, like, the awesome house with all the cool stuff, or did you get some weird house? It's like, this is, this is weird. <laughs> One homestay in particular, my friend and I stayed with a family. Wonderful, sweet family, sweet home. They had four kids. The oldest one was probably in middle school. And I was, I think I was a junior or senior in high school at the time. And my best friend was with me, and we were both junior seniors in high school at the time. So we were in this homestay. I went a great time, wonderful house, we had a lot of fun, played with the kids. The next morning was Sunday morning. And so we sat down at the table, and they had this awesome, 
awesome breakfast. They had like the casseroles, they had eggs and pancakes. And we're like, this looks awesome. So we gather together, the whole family, we're there ready to eat breakfast. And they say the word, they're like, okay, let's pray. And I was ready. Right. Oh, yeah. So we prayed together. And as soon as they were done praying, I grabbed my fork and I was about to start eating. And then all of a sudden, they kept on holding hands. And then all of a sudden, they started singing. The whole family. They started singing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord gives us the Lord. Right? And they were singing. And my friend and I just looked at each other like, what's happening? <laughs> This is weird, <laughs> a little nervous, <laughs> this is odd, I wanted to eat, we already said the prayer, why are we not eating, why are we singing? Started getting a little nervous, but then you know, I'm like, you know what, I'm in youth choir, I'll sing too. And so I started getting really into it. It was uncomfortable, but it was epic. And we were singing really loud, just with the top of my lungs, I started singing too, this is the day that the Lord has made. And we started just going after it. And after the meal, it was funny, because was, it was uncomfortable, but we just, I just embraced it, it was, it was fun. After the meal, the father of the family came up to me and said they enjoyed that I sang along so loudly with them. They said, I figured that'd be awkward for you. And I'm like, ah, I live for awkward. <laughs> I embraced the awkward and I loved it. I asked him though, where did that tradition, where did that practice come from? And he said that his oldest son came back from a retreat and he learned that song during the retreat. And he, he's this, the oldest son wanted the whole family to do it together, and they wasn't received very well. The kids were like, this is weird, this is dumb, I'm not doing this. That was until the oldest son died tragically in the accident. After his death, they've been singing that song as a family every Sunday morning, as a source of memory, as a source of comfort. It happened a few years back, but they were still comforted by the whole family singing this song together. Every Sunday morning, they'd come together with joy, singing the song, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Yeah, I was crying. I was, I was singing and be like, oh, this song is awesome. And it was awkward, but it was so wonderful. And it was so epic. How do we deal with struggles? How do we deal with suffering? How do we receive comfort? How do we give comfort? These are tough questions. And these are questions, honestly, like we don't wanna talk about too often. Because we know the reality is suffering is real and it's hard. So we don't often wanna talk about it. The world copes with the trials of life very differently than the way believers should deal with tribulations and trouble. The world generally, and I say the world, honestly, myself, we seek to either escape or ignore the problem. This is the driving forces behind addiction that can also manifest itself in hedonism, materialism, irresponsibility, all of it. But God's word reveals a better way by finding our comfort and hope in the truth of God with his people, often being the means by which he extends both reminders of truth and practical help. That's the message of the sermon this morning. Our God is the God of all comfort. Now here's the deal, you guys, we hear this, we're gonna hear something, that comfort is not comfortable. Comfort is different. 
See, Paul with Timothy writes this letter to the Corinthian church while on his third missionary journey, many months, perhaps up to a year after his first letter Paul had sent. Paul spent a year and a half teaching in Corinth on, on his second missionary journey, but after his departure, the church demonstrated its immaturity with factions developing quickly, heretical doctrine coming in, and it led to his first letter. And his letter, first letter, if you guys remember, it was kind of harsh. There was some messed up stuff happening to the church, and Paul was harsh in his letter. This second letter is a mixture of both encouragement regarding what was going well, and also a little bit of more, hey, work on this. And Paul writes this letter after experiencing immense trouble, sorrow, heartache, suffering. Paul starts this letter identifying himself as an apostle and greeting the Corinthians as part of the universal church of God. He's establishing his connection to them and his care and affection for them. He's saying, my people. That's what he's writing in the beginning. He's saying, my people, the ones you guys know me. I've lived amongst you. I've wrote you letters. I've bled. I've cared. I've worked. I've prayed. I love you, my people. And he's writing this letter to them. He's reminding them he loves them. And this letter and the one before is written out of love and care for them. And so Paul often begins the main part of his letters with a prayer in which he lays before God the main theme that he wants to get across to his readers. And so N.T. Wright says, Paul repeats the word comfort in one form or another ten times in five verses. To see that this is obviously what's on his mind doesn't put it strongly enough. It sounds almost like an obsession. I'll read it again. Paul repeats the word comfort in one form or another ten times in five verses. To see that this is obviously what's on his mind doesn't put it strongly enough. It sounds almost like an obsession. He's obsessed with the word comfort. As we can see in the book of Acts and we've seen it elsewhere in his letters, it's because he needs comfort himself. It's because he's been suffering. He's been persecuted. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been shipwrecked. He's been attacked. Even more so, people in the church of Corinth itself, the people he, he loved and invested in, have forsaken his teaching for other people's teachings. He needs comfort. So he seems to be, N.T. Wright says, obsessed with comfort. The Greek word Paul uses for comfort is a bit more multi-textured than a simple glance, a simple understanding of our word comfort. It can mean to call someone near, to make a strong appeal, or to treat in an inviting or friendly way. The whole idea of the word is that one person is being with another, speaking words which change their mood and situation, giving hope or new insights which will alter the way they face the issues in front of them. So this word comfort, is the word that is translated is comfort, but it's not consolation which may acknowledge the sorrow or even the word empathy which just feels the sorrow. This concept of comfort is one where Paul has experienced himself the sorrow, invites the person suffering to come near to him, speaks words of new insight and gives way to hope and new possibilities moving forward. Does that make sense? Comfort is not making the situation comfortable. Comfort is entering in with somebody, offering comfort is entering into a place of suffering, <coughs> Acknowledging the realness of the suffering, offering words of insight and of hope so that your perspective and understanding can be changed. Do you hear that so far? 
That's what comfort is. And here's how Paul does that in this section of scripture. He does it, number one, by looking to the character and attributes of God. He offers comfort. He offers new perspective. He offers insight by saying, look, first, first and foremost, look at the attributes. Look to the character of God for your comfort. First one, it says God and Father. He says, he calls him the God and Father. It's the first attribute and characteristic of God. He is God most high. Creator of heaven and earth. He's all powerful and he's triune in nature. He reveals himself as Father. And what a hard concept that is to grasp. I mean, at least for me it is. He's all powerful who spoke galaxies into being. He's infinitely beyond us. He's so much more complex than my mind, this minuscule, puny little mind could ever even hope to comprehend. Yet he calls himself Father. A father. In my day, I've been known as many things. A teammate, a son. In my old friend group, I was known as a social coordinator. Some teachers have known me to be the troublemaker or the clown. I've been a counselor. I've probably been an enemy to few. I've been so blessed recently in my life to be known as pastor. But the title that probably gets me most choked up one that hits me hardest is the ones my kids call me. I get to be called dad. I get to be called, and actually my kids don't call me dad, they call me appa. I get to be called appa to my children, called father. Oh, I love being known as my boy's appa. I love being known as my father. And, and I want you to hear this, my people. There are a bazillion app titles that we can call God. Most high, glorious one, immortal, all-powerful, and so on. But since the beginning, one of the titles that he has and will forever hold is Father. And let that be a comfort to you. May that be a source of comfort to you. And... Maybe you're here and you don't know, you've never experienced it, you have no clue or no idea what a comfort it is to know the love of a good father. And if that's you, I'm so sorry. But for me, the comfort of knowing that as a kid, I had a father who will sacrifice everything, even in his imperfect state, for me who I thought as a kid could beat up anybody. My dad's only like five, three and a half. <laughs> I kid you not, my dad's like five, three and a half, 130 pounds, but I thought he could beat up anybody. My dad was a bad man. <laughs> the comfort that exists when you so fully, like a child, trust that your father will rescue you. If you don't know that, I'm so sorry but I want you to know that you do, you can. And you, there is a father that you can have, that you can know right now. He's been known by this title from the beginning of the time. In his triune nature, he revealed himself as father, and that father is your father, that can be your father, and you can know the comfort that exists when you have a father who is all-powerful, all-powerful, creator over all and chooses to reveal himself as father to you, who cares for you, who loves you, that is yours and that is your comfort.
Amen? Amen. Second characteristic, the second attribute is, they call him the father of mercies. Father of mercies. The word here, translated mercies, refers to emotions of sympathy, of pity, of compassion. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 12.1 when he refers back to everything explained in the previous 11 chapters about God's righteous actions in bringing about redemption. In other words, God feels for you. He loves you. He has emotions of compassion for you. Hear this. God is not this unfeeling deity in the sky. No. He's the father of mercies. Like Jesus wept over loss, so does the Father understand and have sympathy and compassion. Guys, I'm telling you, some of you guys feel like God's this unfeeling concept of power that doesn't understand, doesn't sympathize, doesn't have compassion. That is wrong. Here he is called, in the scripture, in the text that reveals who he is, he is called the Father of mercies. He feels. He feels. We feel because he first... He feels. He has compassion for you. He doesn't just abide you. He, you're not like this child that he's like, eh, I guess I have to watch him. No, he adores you. He delights in you. Zephaniah says that he literally sings over you. Do you get that? Do you get what comfort that exists from that? When you're in sorrow, when you're in suffering, and you're struggling with why is this happening, am I alone in this, can you look first to the fact that he is Father, he is powerful, he is God, he is Father, but he's also, he feels, he has compassion, he loves. Three, he's the God of all comfort. That's his third attribute, his third characteristic. Comfort here referring once again to be encouraged and consoled. Is, is to come alongside to speak encouragement. Paul specifically designates God to be the God of all comfort because he's the ultimate source of all such comfort. Do you get what this means? This means that God of the universe comes alongside you in your distress and comforts you. And comforts you. Now, I don't know what comforts you, but maybe it's, for some of you guys, what comforts me is a a warm blanket when I'm really feeling depressed or a hug from somebody or somebody to vent to. But ultimately what I feel truly what he does in his comfort is this word here connotes this idea of he comes alongside you. He doesn't just make it go away. Because sorrows and trouble, we know this in this world, will always occur. So instead of snapping his fingers, making every bad thing go away, instead he says, no, 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 I will come alongside you, I will bear it with you, you will have my love, and I'll give you the strength to get through it. Doesn't take it away. He comforts you in it. He sees you through it. And that he even works even the worst of things sometimes for his glory and for your good. Wow, what a comfort. He's the God of all comfort. But beyond all this, he's the God of all comfort because true comfort comes only from knowing him and believing all that he is. Because ultimately speaking, true comfort, this idea of true consolation, true feeling of being walked alongside, this true intimacy, true relationship only comes from knowing the one that truly made us to be known by him. He's the God of all comfort. 
So the first way that we receive his comfort is by knowing his characteristics, knowing his character, knowing his attributes. The second way Paul speaks comfort to his people is by showing connection in our suffering to Jesus and to one another. Paul in verse four says, who comforts us in all our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance the same sufferings we suffer. We are connected to each other in our suffering. And that should bring us comfort. I'm going to use comfort so many times. I'm going to be tired of saying it. But hear this, you're not alone. You're not alone. That's often the first lie of suffering and depression, isn't it? Right? Is that you're alone. That no one else is going through what you're going through. No one else understands what you're going through. No one else is with you and you're going through. Guys, can I tell you something? Us as the body of Christ, us as here, that in our suffering, we are actually connected to each other. Do you get that? Because you know what that says? It means that nobody's exempt from suffering. You know what that says? It means that we're all, every one of us, human in a broken world. So if you suffer, if you're going through hard times, if you're seeing trouble right now, then welcome to the rest of the world. That we're all connected in this, guys. You're not alone. That suffering reminds you that you're not alone. And so that when you do suffer, we be reminded that you're not alone in it. We talk about this all the time here at Wayport Church, that the Christian life, all of Christian life, spiritual maturity is a group project. It's never meant to be done alone. But the temptation is there to do it alone, isn't it? For many reasons. One, I think the lies of the devil. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, it's easy to, just to be like, believe the lies that says you are alone. No one will get you, no one will understand you, no one cares. Am I right? It's also tempting to, to want to do it alone because you've been hurt before. And you've been vulnerable and you've opened up and people have hurt you. And I'm not diminishing the hurt that you've been through, but that hurt does not take away from the truth that you're still not meant to do this alone. The hurt does not take away from the reality that God has given us each other and the body. And when we suffer, when we suffer together, when one part of the body suffers, when we all suffer, when this idea happens, something miraculous happens, we offer comfort to each other. And we start saying, oh, you're going through what? Me too. Me too. And then your child is what? Then my child is too. Do you understand? We're connected to each other in our suffering, but we're also... This is beautiful. We're also connected to Jesus. For just as we share abundantly the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We connect with Jesus when we suffer because he was a man of sorrows. He suffered. So when we suffer, we can relate and connect with Jesus. He is the one who can best comfort us because he's been through it. The first person I called recently, and this is something that happened in, in the church and something that just really kind of hurt my heart. And something happened in the church that hurt my heart, and the first person I called was my friend who was a pastor. And I called him up, and I told him what happened, and I told him, and I connected with him first because I knew he understood. He's been pastoring for a long time, and he's been hurt every which way possible. 
And so when I shared with him how I was hurt in the church, and, and he, I knew that he understood and that meant a, the world to me. For some reason, that made all the difference. Jesus came in the flesh and knew what it was to be hungry, lonely, tired, abandoned, mocked, mocked, falsely accused, slandered, beaten, tortured, and killed. When we suffer, he can comfort us because he too has been, because he too has suffered. And when we suffer, we connect to the sufferings that Jesus himself experienced and we can know more of him. And what a weird yet beautiful joy that is. I know it stinks. Suffering, I'm not saying is ever good. I don't like suffering. Suffering is terrible. And there's certain levels of suffering that are much, much worse. And I'm never saying that suffering is good in and of itself, okay? Hear me, I'm not saying that. But there is something weirdly amazing that when we do suffer, there's a, there's a point that we can understand Jesus a little more. What a, what a weird little thing that is, but what a beautiful gift of comfort that is. The third way Paul comforts us in this passage is, is he shows us that God's comfort leads to patient endurance and hope. Scripture says, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. In verse 10, it says, he has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. The comfort of God to us produces in us patient endurance and hope. As you see the character and attributes of God and connected to Jesus and each other in our suffering, what is being made in us is patient endurance and hope. And how, oh, how priceless patience and hope is. It allows us to find comfort in the midst of any and all circumstances. It gives us strength to endure and thrive each day for the glory of God. I truly believe one of the greatest witnesses, greatest apologetics for our faith is how we experience God's comfort in the midst of suffering, which leads to patient endurance and hope. Like the family I mentioned earlier, who sang that song, This Is The Day. The sweetest faith I've had the privilege of seeing have been from those who have suffered much loss. You have such hope. They can endure because they received comfort from God and know he will never leave them or forsake them. They can, in all honesty and truth, sing, we will rejoice and be glad in it. They know the suffering, but they also know the true comfort of the Lord. Not a comfort that gets you out of suffering, but one that carries you through. So when trouble happens again, you know that the same God who saw you through the first suffering will see you through this one until the day that when all is wrong is made right. Guys, when I first read this passage, and I heard the words comfort, comfort over and over again. The, the, the thought, the passage that jumped out in my mind was this passage of scripture that says, comfort, comfort my people. Qu quick quiz, anybody know where that's from? Isaiah. Isaiah, that's right, Isaiah 40. It's a messianic psalm and it starts off, comfort, comfort my people. And later on it goes into, this, there's a voice crying out in the wilderness. It's a psalm that says, guys, receive comfort because Israel, you've suffered. You've suffered such heinously. You've suffered so much, but receive comfort. There is hope because God is going to provide a way. He's going to give you the Messiah. He's going to give you the Savior. You see, the ultimate comfort for the people, ultimate comfort for us as a people comes from the work of Jesus. 
Because in him we have relationship with God that brings ultimate comfort. And because of what Jesus did and who Jesus is, that our sins are forgiven and our heart's longing is fulfilled. We have a loving, intimate relationship with God of the universe, and that changes everything. We can be known and loved and called to purpose, and that changes everything. We're not alone in our troubles, and that changes everything. He brings ultimate comfort. Jesus brings ultimate comfort because he brings us relationship with God. And so all these characteristics, all these attributes of God are now ours to be known and to love him and to receive relationship with him. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the one who changes everything, you can. And if you're here today and you don't know the characteristics, you don't know the attributes of God as father, as one who feels compassion for you, if you don't know God in this way, I promise you that today you can. He's available. His invitation is there for you to know him in such a way and to receive comfort. And what I'll ask you to do, if this is you today and you want to know them this way, during our time of singing, go find one of the people praying that would love to pray for you. Find one of the pastors and they would love to talk to you. Because you can receive comfort today. And for those of you who already know, your source of comfort comes from Jesus Christ. May you know that his comfort is still real today for you. That even right now in your suffering, and right now it's okay that you're suffering. It is not wrong. You're not evil. It's not bad. You're not considered unclean because you're struggling and because you're suffering. But know that he is with you in it. His character, his attributes, you can hold on to and may it be a warm blanket for you. And you can wrap yourself in hold yourself up in and see you through the suffering. His comfort is yours. He'll see you through and the result will be patient endurance and hope. So may you give thanks. May you pray and may you share comfort with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God of all comfort. Being the God that gives us comfort right now, right where we're at. And God, we need it. We need you so desperately. So God, we be the God of all comfort today for all of us. As we continue to seek you, as we offer comfort to each other, may you be our source. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.